Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would now, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings and chapter number 6. 2 Kings is the 12th book in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one under a chair in front of you and you can turn in page 277 and you would be at 2 Kings chapter 6. You know, we live in a physical, visible world and we experience the physical, visible world with our five senses. But there is also an invisible spiritual dimension that exists that is every bit as real as the physical, visible world. And the most riveting picture of this that I know of is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Now what's happening here in 2 Kings 6 is that the king of Syria, or the king of Aram, depending upon your translation, he is at war with the northern kingdom of Israel. And this king of Syria, or the king of Aram, is involved in making these secret military plans, these secret military maneuvers. And every time he would make a maneuver, he would notice that the northern kingdom would have already responded to that maneuver. And this happened several different times. They kept avoiding all these secret moves that he would make with his military. And finally, he comes to a conclusion. There's got to be a spy. There's someone here in Syria who's hearing our plans, and then they're telling the northern kingdom about them. And one of those in the king's court said, oh, no, no, it's not a spy that we have. It's actually Elisha the prophet. And every time we make a move, Elisha the prophet turns and tells the northern kingdom of Israel how to avoid that. Well, I want you to notice what happens in chapter 6 and verse 13. Here's what the king of Syria says. Go and see where Elisha is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, well... He is in the city of Dothan. So what does the king of Syria do? He sends horses and chariots, and notice this, a great army to Dothan. And they came by night, and they surrounded the city. Now, this is a little ridiculous. You've got one guy, and he sends this incredible army with chariots. And they sneak in at night, and they surround the whole town of Dothan. Notice verse 15. Now, Elisha is there. He has no army with him, but he has an attendant. He has a servant who is helping him. There's a little bit of humor here. You have to appreciate it. Verse 15. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out. Now, I, I try to picture it this way. You have the servant who gets up, perhaps to go out to do his morning business, if you would, and suddenly he looks up in the early morning mist, and he sees this army, and he spins around, and there's an army all the way around the city of Dothan. 
And notice what happens. He goes and he says to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? The Bruce translation, we're doomed. There's an incredible army all around us, and there's just you and there's me here. And then notice what Elisha says in verse 16. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now you just have to picture the servant, you know. I'm in a panic, panic, look at the army, look at the army, look at the army. What are we going to do, Elisha? Well, there are more that are with us than are with them. What are you talking about? There's you and there's me here. Well, then notice what the story goes on to say. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain in Dothan was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, our awareness of the physical visible world comes through our five senses, but our awareness of the invisible spiritual dimension comes through revelation. And last time we were together, we had a jolt of reality. We had a message entitled, The Reality of Battle, and we saw that we are involved in a spiritual war, that we live in enemy-occupied territory. And we were in Ephesians chapter 6, and so you can turn now in your, in your Bibles to get there again. But in Ephesians chapter 6, we looked at verse 12 when it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about people, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we saw last time that people are not ultimately the problem. But we are daily involved in hand-to-hand combat with a hierarchy of spiritual agents that are arrayed against us. And we saw that Satan and his forces are experts at spiritual subversion and spiritual manipulation. They have been doing this for centuries. And they have schemes. They have methods. And Satan and his forces are involved in opposing us and deceiving us and tempting us and seducing us and accusing us. Peter's picture of this warfare in 1 Peter 5.8 says this to us. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's the New Living Translation. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around. He's looking for someone to devour. See, the source of victory we saw is not our, ourselves. I mean, we're outgunned. We're outmanned. We're going to be eaten alive if we don't recognize the nature of the battle and if we don't take advantage of the resources that God has provided. We are in a spiritual war. God knows that. And so he gives us divine equipment to fight the war. And we're going to be looking at two aspects to his divine equipment. How do we fight in this war? Well, we fight by putting on God's armor. We're going to see that in verses 11 to 17. 
We're going to begin to look at that today. And then we fight the battle by practicing prayer in verses 18 to 20. We're going to be looking at that, Lord willing, in two weeks. So if you have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read verses 11 to 15, invite you to follow along as I'm reading. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace." We have been involved in a short study we are doing entitled Bracing for Battle. And today we want to talk about putting on God's armor. Now, what does that really mean? If someone were to come up to you and say, What does it mean to put on the armor of God? What would you say? What does that look like as we seek to live out our life Monday through Saturday? Well, we have some strong clues given to us here um, by Paul. The first clue is in the description. It is the armor of God. We see that in verse 11. We see that in verse 13. It's God's armor. And then the second clue is it's something it says it tells us there in verse 11 that we are to put on. It's something we are to wear as we live our life. And then another verb is used in, in verse 13 and in verse 16. It's something that we are to take up. The picture seems to be that the armor is there. God's armor is provided. It is at our feet. And what we need to do is we need to pick it up and we need to put it on. We need to live it in our life. And so as we see these aspects and clues about armor, I want you to see that I think there's two facets involved here. The first one is that God's armor, it's God's armor, refers to our position in Christ. It's God's armor We're to rest in who we are in Christ. We are to rest in what Christ has accomplished. So part of putting on the armor is we need to remember it's God's armor. It goes back to our position in Christ. But also we are exhorted here over and over to put it on, to take it up, and that relates to our practice in life, to how we live our life. So when we talk about putting on God's armor, part of it involves our position in Christ, what He has accomplished, and who we are, and part of it is our practice in life, how we live our life. So what we're going to do is is look at these various elements 
that are part of the full armor of God. And there are six of them listed. We're going to look at three of them today and three next week. Now, I want your eyes to go to verse 14. He says there, stand firm. In fact, this idea is repeated several times. Stand firm. That is the goal. As we're involved in this warfare and the enemy is coming at us, the goal is for you and for me to stand firm. But I want you to understand something about the grammatical structure of verse 14. It's somewhat reflected in the New American Standard where it says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The idea is that we stand firm having already done these things. If we haven't already done these things, we're not going to be able to stand firm. So look at verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, when I was younger and I heard someone mention loins, the only loins that I knew were pork loins, you know, the loins that came out of the back portion of the pig. And so when I would hear about loins, that's what I would think about. But that's not what he's talking about here. I think the NIV helps us. It talks about the belt of truth that would be buckled around our waist. And so the best understanding of the first element of the armor would be to call it the belt of truth. Now, I just remind you of a little historical background that's happening here. As Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, we need to remember that he is actually under arrest. We know historically that he was chained to a Roman soldier. He reminds us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, that he was a prisoner. And so what he's doing is he's writing them, and he's actually looking at the Roman soldier and the various elements that are on the Roman soldier, and he's using those as illustrations. And so the first thing he talks about that we need when we put on the full armor of God is we need the belt of truth. Now, the belt that a Roman soldier would wear was made of thick leather, and it could be anywhere from six to eight inches wide. And what a soldier would do is he would loosen that belt when he was off duty, but he would tighten the belt when he was getting ready for combat. And that's what he says we need to do. We need to gird our loins with truth. We need to gird our loins with this belt. We would say in our language today, you need to cinch up the belt of truth. What was interesting about their belt is that all the other armor that they would wear would be attached to the belt. The belt held everything else in place. And without the belt of truth, you would just be in disarray with your armor. All of the armor tracks back to the belt. And he says, we are to put on to take up the belt of truth, which refers, I believe, to the truth that is found in Scripture. In John 17, Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and he has a prayer to the Father. 
And he says to the father there, I ask you, father, to keep them from the evil one. He knows there's going to be spiritual warfare. And part of his prayer is, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And so we are to be wrapped with truth. And without being cinched tightly to Scripture, the rest of our armor will be in disarray. Now, I have been an ardent observer of things in the Christian world now for 42 years, so I have a little perspective to offer, almost getting towards half of a century. And one thing concerns me greatly about the atmosphere of the church today and the atmosphere of our culture today, and that is there seems to me to very clearly be a growing biblical illiteracy where people really don't know the Word of God, or they know the Word of God far less than people used to. You know, we have a generation growing up, it'd be interesting to do a survey about this, where you ask them questions about television, and then you ask them questions about the Word of God, but we have a generation growing up that I think is going to know more about television and the characters on television than they know about God's Word, and that is concerning to me, what that means for us as a Christian community when it comes to spiritual battle. And if we're going to stand firm, if we're going to experience victory in our spiritual life, we need to be wrapped in truth. We need to be students of Scripture. And I need to add this. It's not just sufficient to know what the Bible says. We need to put on the belt of truth. We need to apply it. We need to live it out in our life. So as we look at each element of the full armor of God, I'm going to give us a definition. Here's my definition of putting on the belt of truth. We put on the belt of truth when we wrap ourselves with the word of truth and we live a life of integrity. You see, your life, my character, should exude the truth of God. We should have a clear conscience when it comes to the Word of God. And here's what's interesting. It is actually possible, I know this from personal experience, to know the truth without living out the truth. You see, he wants to short-circuit us from living out the truth. And men and women, that's one of my biggest struggles. You know, I may know more than the average person when someone says, well, what does the Bible say? I may know more, but one of my big struggles isn't just to know what it says, but to live it out in, in, our, in my life, in your life. You need to do that too. See, what it means is we need to guard ourselves from rationalizing, guard ourselves from justifying. It's so easy to do that. Well, I know what it says, but, and then we carry on. We're just rationalizing and justifying. And then that begins to affect our attitudes, and that begins to filter down into our actions. And what he's saying here is if we're going to stand firm in a spiritual battle, 
we need to allow the truth of God to permeate us, not only in our thinking, but in how we live our life. You see, the, the power of the truth of God is not unleashed until it is trickled down into our heart. And, and if you're a relatively new follower of Jesus, if you're a relatively new believer, I just want to encourage you, make it a priority to wrap yourself with God's truth. Become a student of the Scriptures. You need to, in your spiritual life, if you're going to survive the spiritual battle, you need to be cinched tightly to the word of truth. You need to evaluate all that you think and all that you do by God's word. And remember, when we do that, the goal is ultimately to know Christ and to know Him personally. But I also want to say, for those of us who've maybe logged a few years in the in the spiritual race. I think we need to remember, it's very important, that from time to time we check our credibility gap. The gap between what we know and how we live. And it's important in your spiritual life to do that from time to time. What is the credibility gap between what I know in how I live. You see, the more that we rationalize, the more that there is some dishonesty between what we know and how we live, the more self-deception there is, and the deeper the foothold the enemy will have in our life. So we are to stand firm. And the first element in the whole armor of God is the belt of truth. We put on the belt of truth when we wrap ourselves with the word of truth and we live a life of integrity. Now, you'll notice in verse 14, there's a second element in the whole armor of God, and it is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, for a Roman soldier, and remember, Paul is just seeing this as he's chained to this man, the breastplate of righteousness was made of bronze or it was made of thin metal plates. And the whole function of the breastplate was to protect your vital organs, especially to protect your heart. And it is the breastplate of righteousness that will protect our heart in the battle. Now remember, this is the armor of God. And so the primary reference here to the breastplate of righteousness is to the righteousness of God, to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The amazing transaction happens that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness. Remember the last time we were together we were talking about the strategy of the enemy, and you could see a lot of his strategy in his names and his titles, and we talked about the name the devil, which literally means the slanderer, the accuser. And as the slanderer and as the accuser, he wants you and he wants me to focus on our failures, and he wants to slam us, and our failures become his ammunition. 
And he wants to just simply hassle us. He wants to say to us when we fail, you're worthless. You are a complete failure spiritually. You are so unworthy of God. Look at how you failed. Remember, his goal is to discourage us, to make us disgusted with ourselves, and to want to give up. And while when we fail, we may feel unworthy, we need to remember in the battle that his righteousness has made us worthy. So he says you need to take up the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. But remember, you have the position part of this, our position in Christ, and then you have our practice in our life. And so Christ's righteousness is also to be lived out. It's to be manifested in righteous character and righteous living. So let me give you a definition of what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We do that. We put it on when we take refuge in Christ's righteousness and we live a life of purity. Now, I I want to remind you of something that's very important. Holiness and purity is lived from the inside out, from the heart out. The tendency that we have is to think about people, and so therefore we post paste on to our life externals. You know, when it comes to purity, uh, I'm concerned about you seeing me, and so I'll paste on certain externals. But see, God isn't impressed with externals. He's interested in what's going on internally inside of us. And Satan wants to go for your heart. It says in the Old Testament that we are to guard our heart. And nothing will disintegrate our spiritual life and our testimony more quickly than cultivating impurity on the inside. It'll disintegrate everything if we allow it to fester. And though they may be just little sins, you see, when we do that, it opens a door. It allows the enemy to build a stronghold in our life. So we are to stand firm. We're to put on the full armor of God. We're to take it up. The first element is the belt of truth. We put that on when we wrap ourselves with the word of truth and we live a life of integrity. The second element is the breastplate of righteousness. We put that on. We take that up when we take refuge in Christ's righteousness, and we live a life of purity. There's a third element in the whole armor of God we want to look at today, and that is the shoes of peace. We see that in verse 15. Stand firm, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The NIV says that we have our feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Have you ever noticed how many different kinds of shoes are out there? You ever think about this? I mean, go to a large shoe store, and you have their 
dress shoes. You have their everyday shoes. You have their work shoes. And then you have their athletic shoes. And all the athletic shoes are all specialized. You have basketball shoes, and you have tennis shoes, and you have cross-training shoes, and you have soccer shoes, and football shoes, and baseball shoes. And I'm so excited that all of my children have grown up, and they've moved out on their own, because I no longer have to apply for a loan to buy some of these shoes. But we have all these shoes that are out there. And what is interesting is that the Romans started it all. They were the ones who came up with a special war boot. It was really a half boot. And it had on it a nail-studded sole. And then it had these straps that you would wrap around your ankle and part of your shin. They were not shoes that were designed for running because you don't want the soldiers running. They were shoes that were designed for someone to stand firm. They were shoes that would give you traction. They were shoes that would give you leverage. They were shoes that would allow a soldier to hold ground in the face of the enemy. And that's the picture that he gives us in verse 15. These are shoes that are designed to give us traction, to give us leverage, to hold ground against the attacks of our enemy. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, sometimes when we see the word gospel, we just think of evangelism. But you remember that the word gospel really means literally good news. And so he's talking about here, having shot our feet with the preparation of the good news of peace. What is the good news that we have about peace? It goes back to what Christ has done. That because of Christ's work on the cross for you and for me, we have peace with God. That's incredibly good news. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the spiritual battle rages, we stand firm. We get traction in our peace with God. You see, God's no longer angry with us. God is on our side. And as Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for me, who is against me? The whole idea here is that knowing our peace with God and knowing that our sins are forgiven is the most wonderful knowledge in all of the world. And when our feet are planted in that peace or planted with that peace, we can withstand any assault of the enemy. You know, it's interesting, and I can remember going through a number of years growing up when this was my image. This is a common image that people have with God. That God is out there, and he has this bat, and he's just waiting for us to mess up, you know, and then he's going to smack us with it. You know, we're going to mess up, and he just wants to just pop us one right in the head. By the way, I know 
in the, in the physical world what that actually feels like. When I was growing up, I had a neighbor boy who was four years older than me. And there was this one particular day that he had me on the ground. He was sitting on top of me. I'm completely prone. We're looking at one another, and he has a bat in his hand. And he begins to swing this bat, you know, right over my head, and then he dares me to sit up. Well, you know what little boys are like. No one had ever done this before and dared me to sit up. So on one of his back swings, I sit up. Boom! I get the bat right on my forehead. And I don't remember this. I'm relying on my mom to tell me, but she said, I had a bump come on my forehead that was exactly the size of an egg. But isn't it interesting how we tend to view God in that same way? I just dare you to miss up, and if you mess up, I'm going to pop you one. You know, that's the image that Satan wants to give to us, that God is poised there waiting to pound us with a heavenly bat. We need to remember as we put on the full armor of God that we need to put on the shoes of peace. Let me give you a definition for that. We put on the shoes of peace when we find traction in our peace with God. And not only that, but we also turn around then and we live as ambassadors of peace. We put it on, we find traction in our peace with God, and we live as ambassadors of peace. What does an ambassador of peace do? Well, he does two things. Number one, he or she is a peacemaker. Someone who is an ambassador of peace is a peacemaker. You know, one of the major activities of Satan, you can read it all through the New Testament. One of his major tactics is to propagate conflict and strife among believers. And if we are going to put on the shoes of peace, part of that means that we live our life as an ambassador of peace, that we are a peacemaker, that we are a diligent guardian of the unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. We see this in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What's that mean? It means when Satan wants to inject strife, that we are to be a peacemaker. Romans 14, 19, he says, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Part of the enemy's wiles, part of his schemes is to bring conflict and division among the people of God. And it's just true wherever you go. I go to Latvia and it's there. I go to Nicaragua and it's there. I go to Mexico, and it's there. I live in Norman, Oklahoma, and it's there. Because that's what the enemy does. He tries to propagate conflict and strife. And we are to be ambassadors of peace. First of all, that means we are a peacemaker. Secondly, it means that we are a proclaimer. We become proclaimers of the good news that we can have peace with God. 
that we don't hoard that. The number one need of the people who live near me is to hear about the fact that they can have peace with God. The number one need of the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, their number one need is to know that they can have peace with God. And that means that we need to be the ones who are ambassadors of peace, who tell them about it. So we are to take up, put on the full armor of God. The first part of that means that we put on the belt of truth, that we wrap ourselves with the word of truth and we live a life of integrity. It means that we put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we take refuge in Christ's righteousness and we live a life of purity, and that we put on the shoes of peace, that we find traction in our peace with God. That's our position and that we, in our practice, live as ambassadors of peace. Now we have three more parts of the armor to go. And Lord willing, we will take a look at those next week. Now I do want to let you know, give you a little warning, that we are going to, as we complete this, have a handout available that will summarize all of this and actually put it into a form that I think you can use in a very practical way. But as we get ready to close today, I want to I close, as we've looked at all this material, with some questions for reflection. These are the things that we should all do as we go through the rest of the day, as we go into our week. As we begin to think about the things that we've covered and, and what does this mean to me personally and how can I apply it? And the first question for reflection is this, am I being open and honest before the Lord? I encourage you to ask yourself that question and just listen quietly to see what God may have to say. Could it be that we're rationalizing? Could it be that we're justifying? Am I open and honest before God? Question for reflection number two. Am I alert to Satan's strategy to hammer me with my failures? Am I really alert to that, knowing that is part of his plan, that he wants to hammer me with my failures, that he wants to discourage me, wants me to have the attitude, I'll just give up. I just, I'm a failure. Am I alert to Satan's strategy to hammer me with my failures? And then, question for reflection number three. Do I remember that if God is for me. Who can be against me? Do I really remember that? If God is for me, who can be against me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this book that is actually alive. It is the very breath and heart of God. And Father, we, we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded about the spiritual battle because I, 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 don't, I don't sense all this through my senses like I do this physical world, and yet it's very real. We thank you for the revelation that you have given to us 
And we thank you for the armor that you have provided. And may we be men and women who more consistently than ever before on a daily basis put on and take up the full armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For your honor and for your glory. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. 